Hello there, and welcome to a very special episode of Podcast Maximus. I'm Marian Hilditch, and for our 18th episode, we have an interview with writer of IDW's Transformers series, More Than Meets the Eye, James Roberts. Stuart and I recorded the interview at the first DF Nation convention in Birmingham in the UK last weekend. The convention ran from the 19th to the 21st of August, and we are recording this on the Saturday. Tom wasn't able to join us, unfortunately, but he was there in spirit. Be warned, many spoilers ahead for The Dying of the Light and More Than Meets the Eye Season 2 in general. If you like our podcast, we'd love it if you'd come visit us on Twitter and Facebook at Podcast Maximus, and you can listen to all of our episodes at dfarchive.com. More details about your hosts can be found in the show notes, but for now, enjoy. Are you guys going to be, is this going to be like a uh, hard-hitting Paxman-esque? Are you, I know, you're going to lull me into a full sense of security, and then you're going to start really hitting me with the bad Yeah, that's bad pretty question. much it. Okay, all right. Just so we know, that's fine. Okay. Nick is is notoriously um, you know unreliable, mercurial, violent. Um, it's amazing, actually. He's never lasted to the second day of a con before because um, he tends to kick off. So it's incredible that he's uh, touch wood, still still okay downstairs. You know, at the time of recording, at the time of recording, he's yet to do his normal thing of punching an attendee. That's normally what he does. Um, so yeah, we're good. <laughs> Nation in Birmingham, and uh, with us we have writer of More Than Meets the Eye, James Roberts. Hello. Hello, Hello, listeners. Yes, here we are. Here we are at the first ever TF Nation. And um, um, what has your first ever TF Nation been like for you? Then uh, it's been it's been it's the busiest it's been for, for me. Um, so to, so we're, we're speaking uh, on Saturday evening, and um, it's been non-stop today. Um, and I've nearly nearly sold out of, of all the scripts, um, which is you know, and I normally do pretty well by the end of day two, but um, this is the most that you know that I've sold. So that's a very mercenary, selfish um, metric to use. Uh, so that's good. Um, and uh, yeah, it's a nice atmosphere, isn't it? It's good. It's positive, and um, and a lot of and, and quite a few people today um, were saying that uh, they'd got into more than meets the eye. You know, in issue forty five or forty seven, or somebody got in. With dying of the light, so you know they get extra points for that. That's reassuring, actually. And there was um, sort of a strange scaled-down human. I think a child, um, um, and he. Um, oh, they let one of those in. They let one of those in, and um, he was. Uh, he'd also gone into um, into the into the series. So that's uh, fresh blood. We need that to survive. So, yeah, all all signs are positive. And uh, you tend to get some very good presents at conventions. I. Do and this year I got two. I got lots of lovely presents, but two stand out. One uh, from uh, somebody who goes by the name of Jazz Fox. Uh, she was, uh, I think, uh, she posted to post a lot on the IDW forums, uh, and she had her friend give me a a brand new boxed uh, toaster. Um, you know, full blown Russell Hobbs thing. Um, and uh, once you got through the packaging inside, it was it had been um, adorned with a, a metallic Autobot badge. So it was actually it was actually toaster from More Than Meets the Eye, a very a very obscure uh, character who appeared, who was sort of pseudo canonical, um, 
because uh, Andy Waldman drew a toaster on the cover of issue. Stuart's nodding furiously because this is bread and butter to him. But cover of issue 205 of the UK comic, there was a toaster amongst this mound of bodies. And there was rumours that toaster was on board the Lost Light. And so I asked Brendan to draw said toaster um, for the uh, issue 50 backup, uh, which he did. And now I have... A, a scale model, actually, probably the only ever scale transformer, you know, to one-to-one scale transformer I've been given. Now, I, I would put out Toaster is, if I recall correctly, in the Christmas issue before that on one of the Ark screens, isn't he? Where in flashback. Oh, in what issue one nine eight? Yeah, uh, yes. Cold Comfort. The, he's Joy, been in fiction yes. before as well. Really, Simon Furman could take that Toaster off you. That's, was, that's true, but I, yeah, that's true. Whether it was Wildman that thought, you know, this scene needs a Toaster, or whether Simon put in this script toaster in background but um yeah so the toaster was 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 surprising and um and a i forget her name but a uh, but a japanese fan who is um studying an english uh, in english studying a course in ooh, essentially um statistical management and sort of and, and statistical socialization which i don't understand um and she gave me a copy of her um, sort of the the presentation attached to her thesis, which was you know in in the best way possible impenetrable. I mean it was it was just a mass of formulae and um, word clouds and graphs, but it was about the it was a comparison of seasons one and two of More Than Meets the Eye um, oh. through the prism of social interactions in each story. So the amount of time the characters you know how many characters talk to each other, but but the way in which she'd measured that was through an analysis of the TF Wiki synopses. <laughs> so it was, it was, and there, this is a, there's a, a lot of competition in this field, but it was the most niche present I'd ever been given at a convention. And I love it. And um, yeah, um, I'm going to, in fact, I'm going to tweet select pages because I don't actually want to, you know, disclose her, you know, proper academic content. Um, but I will, I will put some online because it's, uh, it's amazing. And uh, Jim Sorensen, who's another guest here, uh, that that is his bread and butter. That's what he does. You know what he did as a day job. So uh, you know he he loved it. So those yes, good presents. All good presents. Those two stand out as being very odd. Well, sort of tangential to that. Uh, I know recently in Japan there was a convention. A lot of IDW people did go to. Uh, yeah, in China. Yeah. Still, oh, it was mm. China. Sorry. Mm. Yeah. Do you find there's more of an international audience growing for it? Red or IDW pushing the, the comics in countries they've not traditionally been sold in? Yeah, I mean they. Um, I think. I think it's the case that IDW don't profit from from the comics being sold in any other territories. Um, or, or you know, there's 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 um, the US, UK, but I mean, different language editions. Um, the money flows into in, different places, I believe. So in that sense, there's not a huge incentive for them to do it um, uh, and sort of you know market their their product in other territories. But um, using, if we're looking at, at TF Nation and, and auto assemblies of the past as like a barometer. Um, then over the over the four or five years, six years, I've come to these things. There's been a far greater um, sort of gender balance, which is great, um, and also you know more international flavour. And actually, even even I mean, that that's that's in the attendees and the guests. I mean, when the um, opening ceremony happened today, there was there was you know people from from Japan. There was guests from Japan, from 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 Italy, you know, from from Ireland. Um, yeah, it's a it's a good. I don't know if you, if you think the same thing, but there's an internationalist uh, flavour. I've to done. It. 13 years of this wow, now yeah. and uh, yeah but the shift in and younger as well yeah yeah lot, uh, especially since the films yeah uh, yeah true oh <laughs> there's some other faces there uh, 
it's a much healthier demographic. Yeah. Uh, in terms of us all lot just died off. The brand know, died with it. I know. Well, I um my my stepdaughter once um, brought her boyfriend. You know, her boyfriend came home. You know, we were eating, um, and um, and I was doing uh, this was this is not that long ago. I was I was writing more than meets the eye, and um, and I didn't bring that up by the way, but it came up in conversation. You just sat there. You were on a seat. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, and. Um, and, and my stepdaughter mentioned it, and he said, "Oh no, I yeah, I'm really I was really into Transformers as a kid. Um, I, I was I was into them when they first came out, you know, Beast Wars and things. And I felt very old, you know, because and but that that pales in comparison to when you meet people now and they say, you know, I got into Transformers through Armada or you know or whatever <laughs> or the third film. Um, yeah, they, but the, they probably uh, were ten when the first yeah, film came out yeah, to be their twenties. <laughs> So the entry points keep shifting, which is... Uh, and some of those are people who are actually working in the industry. Oh, yeah, yes, that's true. Um, and if the, the pa- if these sort of patterns continue, then there'll be a, a real sort of push to, um, to, you know, to bring Armada back in a few years' time, you know, because the people, you know, the people who are in positions of influence, as you say, would have been fans at the time. Yeah. We were joking, actually, about how, um, you know, um, there's still obviously a predominantly G1 flavour to these events. Um, not least because you know, they, they, you know Hasbro are bringing out toys um, based on those characters, but you know, could well be that the, an iteration of the franchise, which is distinct from G One, you know, becomes prime, you know, prime becomes you know a, a dominant, and uh, you know brings a new generation of fans, and the G One stuff is you know marginalised. So who knows? That was a day. Mm. <laughs> yeah, true. But would you say World Meets the Eye is a G One book? Um, or yeah. is it more of a mishmash? I suppose the RDW continuity generally really is. It is. It's more of a mishmash, isn't it? Um, yeah, the the G one term term has sort of become more elastic over the years. Um, to me, it's I'm quite I'm probably quite old school really. It's eighty four to ninety five, you know. So it's from the original range up to the end of G two pre Beast Wars, um, and I don't think there's many characters in, in more than meets the eye. You know, okay, there's original characters, but you know, known, known characters. We haven't really strayed beyond that um, that period, really. Um, and I know that you know, as you say, because the IDW universe has sort of become with, with through the colony worlds and things, it's this, it's the best of all worlds. You know, you could you know, you've got you've got beast characters and things. I've never felt the I've never felt the urge to you know to 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 grab a Rhinox or whatever like you know and bring it in. So I think it is it's very G one in spirit. I think it's. In terms of the, the known characters we use. Mm. Um, so James, it's the end of the Dying of the Light and the end mm. of season two of Modern mm. has just come out. Have you had a feel for the fun reaction here and in general? To the finale or to season two generally? To both. To I both. Guess. Okay. Um, I how how one gets uh, how one takes the temperature of fandom is interesting as, as from a, you know as a creator. Um, and um, you know, if, if I'm honest, you know, y- years ago, and I can say years ago now because More Than Meets the Eye is five years old, you know, uh, or Death of Optimus Prime is five years old in December, so we're nearly five years in. Uh, and in the early days, you know, when it's a new product and, and you're doing something different, and you know, you want to, you want to get go in deep and find out what people want, uh, what people think. So you know, I, I would, I would look at board, the boards and the forums a lot more then uh, than than I did as as time went on. And so I, I haven't, um, you know, there's, there's a hand, there's about a half a dozen, you know, sort of 
hubs of activity in terms of you know critical where where you could go if you want to engage critical reaction and i generally don't look at those boards but what happens is people will unsolicited say you know well this is this is what people are saying or this is what you know and so you sort of get a feel for um for the general reaction to an issue or to a story or indeed to a season and um and twitter as well i mean i'm yeah i'm i'm active on twitter and uh that's a strange it's a strange place in terms of gauging critical reaction to something. Certainly, if you are, if you're, if you're addressed through Twitter, so if, if you're, if you're, no, if you're added, then it's generally going to be people who are saying nice things about it, aren't they? You know, it's only a minority of people that make a point of addressing you and telling you how bad something is. So that's a uh, a distorted view. But then again, you know, with more than meets the eye, lends itself to you know MTMTE, and so you know. You can you can look search the MTMTE tag and get um, arguably uh, a more sort of a, a broader spectrum of opinion because you know they're not they're saying what they think and they're not copying you into it. Um, so what's my point? So you know so because I do use Twitter, I sort of I sort of get the closest I get to direct feedback on an issue is through that, um, and then otherwise it's people telling me um, uh, what the fandom thinks. So I know that uh, Dying of the Light has been a, a divisive. Um, finale, principally because of the identity of Tarn, um, to a lesser extent because of the characters who have died. And I know that season two, as a whole, um, has also you know been um, controversial and has been less well received in some quarters in season one, which is a peculiar thing to hear from a creative standpoint. Because, and I was saying to Stuart earlier, you know. I've made a rod for my own back, really, by by encouraging the categorization of of, of more than meets the eye, or or the 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 organization of more than meets the eye into seasons, because we're fifty six issues in, um, and you know I think twenty eight of those issues are season two, you know uh, that's an umbrella I've created myself, so people can make you know very very sort of uh, very quick, not quick, people people can can it lends itself to, to very much to a comparison, season one versus season two. Um, I mean, people say, oh, you know, well, season two, yeah, I didn't like it as much as season one. Fine. But that, that's that's a huge quantity of more than meets the eye issues that, that, you know, that you found wanting. So, yeah, so I think um, the the Tarn reveal um, has caused some controversy. Uh, season two, um, in some quarters, hasn't been as well received. And other people have said to me today... Um, that they preferred it. It's not. It's not. It's not universally judged to be judged to be. You know, uh, not as good as some people prefer it. Some people don't. So if you've been a sort of critical yeah. analysis, but I thought the, the Tard thing was brilliant. Mm. I thought that was so cleverly done because I thought you had put yourself in an impossible position before that, where mm. you could only disappoint people because it could only. Mm. Uh, are we putting spoiler tags out on this, or should we make it? Yeah, absolutely. So it could, it could only be roller. Yeah, or it could only be some other guy. Yeah, the, the and yeah, the subversion with Roller could be just before that was. Mm. I probably I probably set up myself set myself up to fail in 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 many respects. Um, the the thing about Tarn is that well, on one level, you know, Tarn is Tarn. You know, the all all you need to know about who he is, you have seen because you know of how he is. So we know Tarn through his actions as Tarn. So you know you meet him or you hear about him through the through the DJD's reputation in season one. You, we we meet them for the first time, so we get the measure of Tarn as 
Tarn, you know what I mean? And again, in season two, you know, we, you know, we come to know him through through the things he does as Tarn. But because I was really keen for a character to have a Decepticon badge for a, for a face, and that was a mask, it, it encourages speculation about, well, who is behind the mask? So it creates a question um, based around hidden identity. And hidden identity, for me, was never the key dimension to that character, you know? Um, what defined Tarn for me was, you know, um, how Megatron had a, had a part in his creation, and you know what what Tarn did with Megatron's teachings and Megatron's philosophies after Megatron had abandoned them. That was that was the interest for me. Who Tarn, quote unquote, really was was of secondary concern. But I completely get why readers thought, you know, well, you know, he's got a mask. There's someone behind that mask. And also, and yeah, sort of the grammar of comics being what it is, you know, there, there's got to be there's significance to that. And so, um, and because because season two takes two and a half years to pl- play out, the speculation is there constantly. Um, and Tan and the DJD are the big bads, so you know it's gonna it all it all encourages sort of speculation. Um, so well, I say so many. Several people today have said to me, you know, did you? switch lanes halfway through season two when too many people guessed it was Roller, did you then think, okay, I'm going to backpedal, make it somebody else? And, and the honest answer is no. Um, it was always supposed to be Glitch, and Alex can testify to that in terms of our early conversations and some of the season two outlines that were put together. Um, the closest I can come to sort of an, an, an on-page argument is saying that, you know, back in issue 36, um, which was, I admit, and this is where, you know, I made life hard for myself, um, I, I played to the gallery in the sense of giving Roller an injury which was, you know, corresponded to the scar on Tarn's face. So I sort of stoked those fires. But that's also the same issue where you have uh, Orion Pack saying to Roller, I really, I really you know, recommend you read this Megatron guy. I recommend you read his teachings, his readings. They're, they're, they're sort of enlightening. And, you know, very clearly we made a point of putting Glitch in the background there. Glitch is within earshot. Glitch has heard that recommendation and goes on to act upon it. Um, so, you know, that's that's the sort of on-panel evidence. But also, um, this is probably the most involved answer you're going to get tonight. <laughs> but also, you know, um, Roller, it's a big leap to say that Roller, you know, developed a, a, an ability to, you know, to kill people, um, to, to sort of extinguish sparks, um, you know, through 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 verbalization or whatever. Um, it's still it's still a a jump from Glitch's ability to do that. But nonetheless, Glitch at least had some grounding in, you know, in being able to to exercise an effect on on machinery, at least. Anyway, so um, to bring this answer to a, a, a much-deserved um, close, uh, yeah, you, you've, I've only got certain options when you get to issue 55. <clears throat> Tarn can be Roller. If he is, then collectively fandom says, well... Duh! Of course he was. That was completely obvious. So you know, I'm I'm unmoved by that revelation. But also, you know, so what? At that point, okay, you get arguably this frisson of, oh well, isn't it awful that um that this this horrific person that's that's inflicted so much pain and caused so many deaths was once you know a friend of of Pax. You know, isn't that isn't that sort of a terrible irony? You do get that. But beyond that, you know, well. That's Roller's character done. I mean, that that's that's the end of Roller. Um, 
or you go for someone entirely unknown, which would have no resonance whatsoever, um, or you go for somewhere somewhere in between. So it's not an absolute unknown. It is a, it is somebody that's been referenced and introduced before, someone that has had some some activity within the storyline, um, and you sort of you know hope that that is um, that's enough. Um, but you know the other thing is I I, I wanted I wanted to do more with Roller. Uh, you know I wanted uh, I thought there was there was more there was scope to do more things with Roller. So I didn't want to sort of have both Tarn's story and Roller's story simultaneously, coterminously, um, you know, end. I was just going to say about the reveal itself and the mm. way that played out. Mm. Um, it was obviously uh, sort of choreographed in a certain way to mm. play on the reader's expectations mm. of Tarn being Roller. Yep. So do you find that um, you can rely on your readers being that well-versed and that well-connected in a way because... Having just read more than it said, perhaps Roller wouldn't have been the number mm. one choice, but the fandom has certainly made a big deal out of him being that. So mm. it's both the reader knowing more than it said and the reader being banned of the fandom in a way that that reveal played on. Yeah, I mean, from I can, yes, I structured that issue and I structured that reveal in a way which absolutely played on expectations. So you know, you're you're building towards the the big reveal. Which again, like I say, to me is not the focus point of the, not the focal point of that issue, um, but but there is a legitimate expectation that before the DJD die, you will find out what who is behind the mask. So, you're, 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 the rhythm of the story is taking you to that reveal, and so, the, the, from my perspective, the best time to have the other major event in that story, which is the identity of the disappeared and the time lost coming into the story. Is, is just before that reveal and the best person to represent the disappeared is is roller because he, again he's known albeit he's not he's not super famous but he's you know he's he's somebody that we have established disappeared so that's that's a good way of um introducing that sort of that cohort of characters uh, and yeah it it confounds expectations now the thing is though if if you weren't among those people that fervently speculated as to Tarn's identity, it doesn't, you know, timing that appearance of Roller just then doesn't detract from, in my view, doesn't detract from the significance of Roller, of, of, a, of these characters appearing from nowhere, um, or neither does it undercut the revelation um, that on the next page that Tarn is somebody else. Do you know what I mean? You, it doesn't rely upon a, a, upon a knowledge. It doesn't rely upon you having speculated furiously for, for years. Um it's just the order of uh, order of events in that issue is such that at some point we've got the return of these disappeared and then subsequent to that the revelation that they were the organics and then you've got the unmasking of Tarn. So if you've... Yeah, you do need to have read previous issues but you don't need to have been super invested in who is Tarn um, for that roller reappearance to make you think, well, what's going on here? Where do these guys come from? You know? Was it a worry... Uh, and I've not seen anyone make this mm. comparison so if it was a worry, I think you, you pulled it off. Or was the shockwave thing a worry that you'd already done... Uh, oh, this character is actually this really thing mm. once before. Were you worried that that would yeah, honestly seem hadn't... like old ground? Or... Um, I, I do worry about old ground in other scenarios and contexts. This wasn't one. In fact, in a way, it's, it's the opposite because the Shockwave reveal absolutely depended on everybody knowing who Shockwave was. You know, it, more, particularly because Shockwave was not a more than meets the eye character. You know, we'd that was probably one of the very rare instances where we'd stuck a toe in you know we, we'd stepped outside of the uh, perhaps what is what is 
what has become more of a more than meets the eye sort of microverse, you know, a continuity within a continuity. We we stuck our neck out and said, no, actually, you know what? Um, and doing so, actually, I think added to the shock value. We're gonna we're gonna tackle something which is you know fundamental to the entire Transformers universe here and, and give you a shockwave origin that you weren't expecting. Um, for that for that revelation to to hit hard, you needed to know who Shockwave was. Um, yeah, so so no, I didn't. I thought it was uh, it was it was that that really the whole thing there hinged on the uh, on on a on a secret origin, a secret identity. And like I said earlier, you know the the who really is Tarn to me was was of secondary concern. You know, it was it was you know, it, Tarn, Tarn the character was was everything you saw it it was it was you know you um everything that was presented on the page about tarn was what you needed to know who he really was 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 not irrelevant but was you know it, it wasn't um you know knowing he was glitched doesn't add a huge amount to your appreciation of tarn as a character and nor was it intended to but readers did deserve to know who was behind the mask because it had become a huge thing over the years yeah so speaking of the main themes of mm-hmm. More Than Meets the Eye and the Dino's Light and in general season two, Megatron mm-hmm. and uh, his journey throughout this season, mm-hmm. which has been very long. <laughs> yes. yes. Uh, from from a personal perspective, not from a reader perspective, perhaps. So um, he comes to certain realizations um, mm-hmm. in the Dying of the Light. Do you feel Megatron? I should say is one of my favorite characters. So. Uh, you know, I'm reading very closely mm. this season um, with great interest. Do you feel that at the end of the Dying of the Light, he's reached some kind of destination, or do you think he has a long way to go? Um, I think he's reached a destination. He's reached a staging post, or you know, or, or a base camp on the way to the summit type thing, because because you can't keep you can't keep having him being tested and then and wavering and then reaffirming his. Um, just because that really is sort of you know replaying the same the same sort of notes, um, and dying of the light you know, pulled him in different directions. Dying of the light you know did that quite a lot you know um, particularly in the last couple of issues because you know he'd he'd stood his ground. I mean I was I was very careful to you know there were certain milestones along the way with Megatron's journey in season two. And um, some were more subtle than others. Um, you know, the the scene in issue forty three when he, you know, he's in his human avatar mode and, and he, he realizes realizes the sort of fragility of, of, of organics, that was a that was significant. And then um, obviously, you know, when they visit uh, you know, the, the uh, Necrobots planet and the field of, of um, you know, spark flowers, that was the main sort of um, epiphany for Megatron. And then um, you know that that um, his his reaction to what he perceived to be an attack from Tailgate, actually correctly perceived to be an attack, um, his reaction and his remorse. You know um, that led to issue forty nine and the, and the sort of his his embrace uh, of pacifism. So these are all sort of you know necessary steps towards where he finds himself at the beginning of Dying of the Light, which is you know he's an avowed pacifist. He's He's legitimately happy in what he's doing, um, and then of course, dying of the light is about you know testing that from every direction. So he um, he finds himself in a position position where he's put everyone around him in, in extreme danger because um, of a threat that he's he's responsible for. Um, 
his pacifism is tested and he you know he continu- continues to refuse to engage um and then of course finally and inevitably um you know he he relents or he succumbs and he and he goes out and he fights and that's when you're supposed to think um that is that is a that is a um that is such a significant lapse you know, that, that that he really has he's he's now he's reverted to type now he's he's back on the bad path um so he gives so he, he he is violent and he i don't know if, if i don't know if he enjoys it but he, you know he's he's reminded of what he's best at um and then ravage dies you know in in a in a very timely way um which sort of dra- drags him deeper down um and if it, if it weren't for the reappearance of terminus then you know it would have been it would have been bad on Megatron as he himself recognizes when he has the conversation with with Ratchet and he's the most candid really he's ever been certainly from a reader's perspective because you don't know what conversations have had have happened between Ravage and Megatron but you know on page he's he's very honest about you know what I'm what I'm genuinely afraid of you know I know what I'm capable of um I know how close I've come to lapsing and I think that if I give in to these urges that really is it so so he he does he does give in he's sort of buoyed by the knowledge that perhaps innately he genuinely doesn't want to um return to his battled ways so he thinks well i will i will fight and i will fight hard and i'll protect those that i care about um when ravage dies that's as close as he's come to um to reverting to how he was and as i say if it wasn't for terminus, terminus reappearing then he would have sort of he would have headed down that path terminus is sort of you know, it's 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 a it's a phenomenally redemptive character because it, it, he literally hails from a time when you know Megatron was still a, a good person, and so Terminus was needed as a an instantaneous sort of corrective to what had just happened, and I think to continue flip flopping beyond that point, it would just become you know you you'd never be able to sense that Megatron has has reached a settled state. Do you know what I mean? Because um, you'd think, okay, well, it's only a matter of time before there's another another test, and he and he, he goes this way and he goes that way and stuff. So I think it's fair to say that at the end of Dying of the Light, with the return of Terminus, um, he's he's passed his tests, and he's in he's in the most sort of the, the safest place he's been in sort of emotionally for a long time. So what did Ravage mean when he said, "Don't change back"? Um, I I I I have an idea in my head, but I but I will never say tell you what it is because it was <laughs> it was absolutely you know intended to be ambiguous because it can be read both ways and for the, for those people listening that that may have read it in only one way uh, the the intention is to say well was Ravage referring to the fact that Megatron had come to his senses and become a Decepticon again so please don't change back to an Autobot again or was Ravage, you know, with his paw on the on the on the badge, saying, you know, don't do it, don't become a Decepticon again. So, um, I, I'm 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 really happy. I'm happy with that with the ambiguity. Oh, I think Ravage was a big surprise to me. I I did not think you would kill him. Hmm. Uh, I thought he was pretty much the most bulletproof character there because <laughs> oh, obviously you're a big Marvel character yeah. where he was a significant character hmm. in British stories, and he's a very well liked yeah. character in IDW hmm. as well. Uh, yeah, both yourself yeah. and John Barber had a very good work with Ravage yeah. after he'd been ignored for a bit of time. So, was that a hard kill, or did you think no, he must die? Um, I'm going to answer honestly, um, but but I know it, there's a risk of um of, of sort of of, of blowback really because um, 
Megatron needed to to there needed to be a direct effect on Megatron of everything that he'd done. Um, up to that point, um, even though so much of the threat um, was of his own making, um, very little um, there'd been very little consequence, you know, um, in terms of what he had done. He hadn't lost anybody close to him. It had, it had been the likes of Trail Cutter or Skids, you know, the, the, the wrong people had died, so to speak, you know, people. Um, and it was important to me that, that he had a, a, as, as direct and immediate uh, and visceral um, a, a consequence to his actions as possible. And so we'd established that, you know, uniquely among the crew, you know, Ravage was his confidant. Um, there's, there's a lot of sort of emotional resonance from the Ravage Megatron connection that goes beyond more than meets the eye, you know, just as, as a as sort of franchise touchstones, you know, those two, not as much as Soundwave and Ravage, but still, you know, they are, they're key characters. There is sort of a subconscious connection between the two. Uh, there, there's an appreciation in fandom of, of you know, yeah, you know, they, they, they belong together to a degree. Um, so it was important that after all the crap uh, that, that Megatron had brought upon the crew, uh, that he himself suffered um, directly from his actions, and the death of Ravage was was, was that. Um, and you know, and uh, I didn't think to myself, "Oh God, we've got to kill at least X number of people." But at the same time, um, it was a season finale. You know, the stakes are higher. You know, generally as high as they're ever going to be in those type of things, and. Um, um, if you're gonna if you're gonna spend two and a half years building up to a you know live or die battle with with the big bads, then you know there, there needs to be some lasting effects. So the death of of, of two major characters was, was was that. So throughout the season, we've seen Megatron learn a lot from hmm. hanging out with the crew on the last flight. Uh, do you think the crew has been learning anything from him? Um, mm. how to betray people? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, well, yeah. Um, well, well, they they've literally learned from him in terms of his, his sort of teaching, which we we alluded to early on in the season, but we only saw at the beginning of of Dying of the Light. Um, I think Magnus has probably learned. Yeah, I think you know they they. The interesting thing is that that certain characters will see, they'll see they'll see elements of themselves in Megatron, or worse from their perspective, there'll be aspects of Megatron's post-war personality that they admire. And that's going to create a very powerful emotional dissonance, really, because, you know, you don't want to... A bit like the conversation between, of all people, Getaway and Skids in uh, Slaughterhouse, you know. It's like, you know, um, paraphrasing, but, you know, I don't... Firstly, I can't get my head around the bad things he's done because they are so huge as to be abstract. And secondly, you know, you don't want to... You don't want to like him. You don't, we don't want to give him any um, room at all. Um, but to answer that question in a different way... Um, what's always appealed to me is that is that Megatron's redemption would only have happened, or rather, Megatron's redemption wouldn't have happened had he not ended up with that particular group of people. You know, I, I like the idea. It, it's a sort of perversely romantic idea that the Lost Light made up as it is of such a weird bunch of people, flawed people, uh, and they're sort of they're just like this little <laughs> protected bunch of characters away from if you like the important things that happen in the Transformers universe they sort of do their own thing and they're sort of they're cut some slack because they're all I like to think they're all sort of regarded as deeply dysfunctional so Megatron in that environment where there's very few um, you know straightforwardly pure 
and and good people. I think that was the right environment for him to find the acceptance he needed or the tolerance he needed to sort of have the space to grow and, and, and learn and stuff. So talking of growing and learning, uh, Rodimus um, to have a sort of similar arc in the previous season, which was uh, set back quite significantly mm. when Megatron turned up. And um, I'm, I'm getting the impression throughout the season that even though it's not quite as obvious because Rodimus hasn't been the focus of it as much, that he is in fact not quite as sulky as you might think mm. and not quite as random as you might think. And he seems to be observing Megatron really very closely. Um, would you say that's an accurate observation? Yeah, it is. I'm really pleased to hear you say that because that was the that's the intention. Um, it is, it isn't necessarily foregrounded, um, but we we had the you know the inevitable um, hump at the beginning of the season in every sense of the word. You know, Rodimus took the hump um, as you would. You know, if if you know you were from your perspective, you're doing all right with your quest, you're doing your thing, and then then Optimus Prime says, "I'm going to put you know." literally the worst person you can imagine on board with you and they're going to share responsibility with you it's the it's the ultimate um sort of you know uh demonstration of a lack of confidence in your ability um so rodimus was right to be you know royally pissed off by that um and he sulks as we as we established but then beyond that you've seen um probably you know a very emotionally mature response i mean they've bickered but as the season has gone on there's a very odd sort of it, it began as a, it, the bickering evolved into sort of a tolerance and then there's something approaching a mutual respect by the time we get to the end of the season and my attempt to crystallise that was in you know Megatron's speech about staying and Rodimus acknowledges the nobility of that position um, and you know risks his life at the end of that of that um, story to um, to rescue him so yeah I'm pleased I'm pleased you've you've detected that because that was intentional. Uh, we can um, go on to a slightly different topic, uh, which is the um, the political and the social themes that you like to bring into more than meets the eye. Oh, yeah. And um, I wonder if, um, well, first of all, can I ask, are there any particular topics that you especially like to explore? And mm-hmm. at what point does reality drive you to incorporate those concerns into your writing? Wow. Just a just a light-hearted question to it, yeah. Okay, okay. Um, it's it's not an it, others may disagree. Um, it's not an agenda-driven storyline. Um, that said, it is. I think it's inevitable if one is interested in the way in which society. Yeah. Before we, 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 there was a panel earlier on about about writing, and Simon Furman, John Paul, um, Bo, and myself were talking about this and that, and. Um, Simon, you know, opined that you know science fiction is, and this is absolutely true. Science fiction is 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 inescapably present. Science fiction is about today. Um, the science fiction stories that are told are an incredibly good indicator of prevailing concerns and anxieties, and it's always been the case. And so, if you're telling science fiction stories that pivot around alien societies, uh, then then so much more so. You know, you are going to um, as a writer, unless you try very hard not to, you're sort of going to channel your or betray your views of what 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 is good and what isn't good and what works and what doesn't. And I've I do have a, a you know, profound interest in, in in politics and you know um, and to a to a different extent sort of sociology, and and that does bleed into the storylines. Um, and when you when you enjoy world building as I do, you know all these things come together and and sort of you know 
um, I suppose certain viewpoints um, inevitably come forth. Um, it was probably more prevalent in season one, you know, where we where we where we looked, you know, the uh, the shadow play era stuff, um, and we we sort of. Uh, oh, having said that, actually, um, I tell a lie. Issue thirty five, you know, the alternate universe, the functionist universe thing was 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 abs- was like a a hard dose of you know dystopian future stuff, which talked about surveillance society, you know, the notions of privacy, you know, security. Security versus, you know, your your right your right to privacy, all that surveillance stuff. Um, I think I think inevitably, what what interests you as a writer, you know, will find its way into your stories. Um, but I haven't. I hope I haven't sort of been trying to hammer a message over people's heads or any with um, with with season one or season two. Um, what I have been trying to do is is present either whether it's whether it's the 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 main universe you know the 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 actual the idw transformers universe trying to give some depth to that universe and and give some um uh some insight into what motivates the characters um or whether it's been creating an alternate universe in the case of the functionists um just trying to give some 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 depth and some richness to the uh to the storyline i guess Mm. We we know that with Transformers you can get away with a lot more than you can with yes. human comics. So this, yeah. we usually say that uh, when we're talking about the gore involved. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this is also true, I think, of some of the themes that can be explored a bit more safely. Yeah. Uh, so, for instance, Grandco comes to mind or issue twenty thirty five, as you mm-hmm. just said, or maybe on a different level, uh, Tailgate's um, sorry getaways grooming of Tailgate. Yeah. Do you think that you have more of a more space to explore these things because you're not dealing with uh, humans? Hmm. I mean, certainly, yeah, as you said yourself, certainly with the sort of gore factor, um, the fact that they're robots, you know, gives you more, gives you free reign, really. Um, I don't know whether beyond that, whether, whether, you know, because they are, what are we saying? Is it, are we saying? I mean, this is a rhetorical question. Are we, are we saying it's because they they're robotic, they're mechanical that that you that that you've got more scope to, you know, um, to sort of um, highlight, you know, political failings or or, or, or modern day foibles? Um, because I don't know if that's the case. I think I think to be honest, it comes down to. The type it sounds really really banal, but the type of stories you want to tell, and and I, and I, as I've said earlier, I'm really keen. I've always been keen to 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 show to, to show to the world what what you can do with it with Transformers and what you, you know. Um, it's almost a reaction against this, and I hope I hope it's not a prejudice which exists as much today as it may have done in the past. But this this idea, look, you know, don't don't write off Transformers as you know, as as a as a toy line, yeah, with some flipping glorified adverts. You know, you can do fantastic things with 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 Transformers, as as lots of other writers have done. Um, you know, you could they are it, it's a fully it's a fully realized alien civilization, um, and that that allows for all sorts of stories to be told. And so, if you can tell stories which touch upon political themes, religious themes, uh, notions of gender or identity or post-war stress you know why not why just embrace it and just just i think my my motivation is you know this this won't last forever um no one writes something forever and while i have a a modicum of influence and control over something um let's let's just let's just push it as far as we can in terms of telling grown-up stories 
you know, um, that's that's really the motivation. Do you find that coming from a very British perspective, mm. when you do the political stuff for mm. an American publisher, do they sometimes find it a bit baffling or not? You know, things yeah. like uh, of the my, my things like an offset joke, <laughs> yeah, or yeah. Uh, Me- Megatron quoting Tony Ben, yes, wholesale yes. Uh, things like that. Does yeah, that go over it. Yeah, yeah, no, I mean, it, it, they're, they're peculiarly British um, references, aren't they? Um, I, yeah, I, I, I mean, the Offset thing was, you know, it's just, it's, it's, it's one of those things. If you, if, if, if it sails over your head as a reference, it hasn't detracted from the enjoyment of the. Uh, it's like a, it's a classic Easter egg thing, isn't it? In a way. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, it's interesting that. You know, we should do a poll and see how many people, even even, you know, avid, loyal, long-term, more than meets the eye readers. I'm sure there will be many, many readers that don't even detect a political dimension to it at all. Really, you know, you you bring your own, not prejudices, but you bring your own, you know, viewpoints to 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 the to the table, don't you? And you and you, you're reading the story through a prism of your own views as well. So, um, for some people, it is it is there's there's no political dimension to it at all. You know. There's this Gene Roddenberry thing. Yeah. Yeah. No, not that Gene Roddenberry thing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. The nice oh, yeah. thing where you can <laughs> say that uh, removing with two steps further away uh, yeah. removes some people's pre-existing bias mm. from the um, mm. the issue we discuss. Mm. I mean, it's uh, I, it's easy to forget that um, for me that you know Megatron even from the from, from the first solo story I did about Megatron. You know, I was really keen to to give some explanation for why he is as he is and um you know a lot of the groundwork actually had been laid by um megatron, megatron origins and um you know if, if you're talking about a pre-war society you know all, all wars are intensely political and and everything leading up to warfare is particularly political and it's no different with for the transformers and so you know uh, the explanation for megatron being as he is is going to be political in nature, um, and I found it particularly interesting. This idea that um, he began as a you know as a, a passive, certainly somebody that believed in non-violent actions, um, as as a sort of um, um, an agitator in terms of rhetoric, um, a socialist essentially. Um, I, you know, it, it it was useful to me to to um, have him espouse a recognisably real life. Um, political doctrine, you know, because I tell you something, it's incredibly difficult to invent a new one. <laughs> you know, there's only so many, um, you know, um, you know, there's only so many ways you can you can attack um, a problem. There's only so many ways you you can mount a solution to a problem um, politically. It, you know, you're, you're sort of there's a spectrum of responses from from socialism to fascism, really, and you know, it's going to be one of those. So with Megatron, it was sort of a this idealism, this sort of pseudo-socialism, which, as we saw, hardened into, um, you know, totalitarianism over time. And it's interesting to mention Megatronology because I suppose what Eric Home mm. would have intended from a British perspective, mm. an oppressed minor, uh, yeah, a mistreated yeah. mining community does have yeah. extra Yeah, it, has, it does have extra frisson, doesn't it? That sort of, you know, that Thatcherite era, um, you know, tang to it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and you know, going back to state games and, and you know James Hill's story, um, that's probably where it all started, really. And I, I, I often bang on about how James is um, is unfairly overlooked in terms of the contribution he's made to to everything, really. You know, he 
he was the one that I think was inspired by the you know the sort of, uh, the terrorist threat to the Olympics. You know that it was yes, yeah, Olympic, yeah, yeah, um, yeah, absolutely. So um, he's responsible. He's probably responsible more than anybody else for introducing whether you consider it an overt or a covert sort of political dimension to to Transformers. Yeah, and uh, I applaud him for that. I was just going to throw Seth Lomas's question at you at this point and yeah. say, if you'd been there at the time, whose side would you have been on? Yeah, but you you're ask, you're asking me that. I am asking you. Yeah. Um, I think I would have been. I would have been on the Decepticon side, and then there would have been a point where you, you suddenly you suddenly start to worry, and you and and, and I like to think. Um, I'd have reached that point quicker than most, and thought, actually, you know what? Quicker the drift. Yeah, quicker the guys. Quicker the drift. Because, and and you know, there are again, you can't escape real world parallels. You know, um, this slide towards extremism. Um, you know, so many things start off with the best of intentions, and gradually there's an erosion of the things which which made something virtuous, and um, and it's 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 all these tiny. It's death by a thousand cuts. It's all these tiny concessions that are made uh in the context of being um for the greater good and then you suddenly realize you know you know you've 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 planted that bomb or you've you know you've you've looked the other way when when innocents have been killed because it's in service to to a to a noble aim and you know yeah i think like anyone else you'd like to think yeah i you know because megatron at the beginning yeah fair play you know (laughs) you know it's it is a it's a it's an awful system and um his grievances are entirely legitimate um, and his aspirations, again, are entirely laudable. Um, but at some point, in terms of how he sets about bringing, how, how, he, how he brings about change, you think, actually, you know, you've overstepped the mark. And that mark is different for everybody. So, yeah. This is a very specific question, but I think it's what we've discussed on the podcast before. Uh, mm. In Grindcore, mm. lovely big-footed flywheels how aware was he of what was going on there was he happily burning people alive he was he absolutely was no I think he absolutely was he was doing it with a smile on his face um, because I'm glad his face got into bed (laughs) (laughs) because um, because there was a very clear again as in real life you know as long as you know why you're doing something and I'm not saying as long, but but you know, if you know why you're doing something and you you recognise that it's or you believe it's necessary to achieve this whatever and and the the goal is in your mind laudable and necessary then you know it's this i'm fascinated by this tranche of you know it's a bit like the old um is it in clark's or um more rats or, but i think it's you know when they're talking about the sheer amount of of contract labor you that you need to build the death star <laughs> and it's like you know they weren't all, you know, they didn't go and, pick and, and recruit, you know, um, uniquely evil people to do it. You know, it, it was sort of, um, and I think, yeah, you know. builders in, it's quite... Exactly, exactly. But um, um, it's a bit, we talk, I, don't know, I, think, I think I had to scale this back because of, 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 of the usual sort of page constraints and so on. But in issue 39, when, you, when we looked at the DJD, and I was originally in the original script, much more was made of the sort of the bureaucracy of evil. You know, there is, it's, it's, it's a, it's a proper operation, you know. It's not just random supervillains doing doing bad things. It's a lot of there's a lot of admin <laughs> to it all. And you know, if you're if you're at a desk, you know, typing something. You know, this is this isn't this is just a, a bizarre example. But if you know if you're if you're at a, at a desk typing something out and, and in a, in an 
infinitesimal way, but a necessary way, contributing to the atrocity. You know, you can you can tell yourself, you know, well, I'm just doing this bit, you know, and I'm not, you know, Flywheels wasn't pulling the switch and incinerating people. Um, you know, he he was he was a cog in the machine, and that was presumably enough for him. So you know, merrily get on with the job. You know, he was a salary man. He was doing doing what he needed to do um, for the end goal. In issue thirty nine, we also see the one thing that I think a lot of people have interpreted as the only sign of remorse mm, on Tan's Tom has, behalf. Yeah. Is that a correct interpretation of uh, the fact that he wants to cl- he closes his eyes when uh, people are getting killed around him? Yeah, it was my attempt to show that. Um, well, firstly, that we the same scene attempts to establish that that. Um, so much of what the DJD about is is about is is you know reputational. It's about you know the necessary grandiose gestures and over the top stuff, the theatrics that you need to um, amplify you know your reputation and and, uh, and make people scared. Because it's all you know everything about the DJD is founded on 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 terror. Um, they are they are powerful, but um, a lot of that power comes from people are automatically scared of them um, because of what they've heard them, that they can do. Um, so it's a lot of it's theatrics and that was that scene that moment where he closes his eyes it's like it was to show that he's not he's not he's not a sadist you know um he was he was again maybe this was some of this was lost because of things that were taken out of the script but the idea was that he was an incredibly successful commandant you know he he ran grindcore really really well you know in terms of you know if megatron is sort of presented with you know your quarterly statistics, you know, well, that many people have been recycled, then you know, this many um, prisoners have been, you know, neutralized. You know, it, it, he did his job well, and um, and a bit like fly, flywheels, but with greater responsibility. You know, he, uh, he, he was always been driven by, you know, by the need, by the Decepticon cause. He considered what he was doing as integral to the cause. It, it doesn't, you, you can, you can have that, and it doesn't mean that he, he gets off on people on seeing people being eviscerated. You know, um, and so. Um, yeah, that was, and and also as well. I mean, by this point, they've been doing it for God knows how long as well. So, you know, it's it, there's a weariness to it as well. Yeah, um, I don't know. Flywheels. He was he was the one who found religion, wasn't he? Yes. Uh, is uh, that drove, what drove him to that? Do you think? Or? He he was already religious in in that um in in that. Oh no, yes, it's not religious. Religious. Delete that question. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, do, do you think that you may not be able to answer this? Is something we talk about in season three? But do you think the removal of the threat of a DJD? Mm-hmm. It would be a good thing for Romania with Decepticons or a bad thing? Is it going to liberate them or make them behave worse? Hmm, interesting. Um, the, the state of the Decepticons is an interesting one anyway right now, isn't it? Because uh, it, is still, it is still ostensibly peace. Uh, I think increasingly you've, got, you've basically got rogue factions, haven't you? I mean, you know, Desaros and his team were sort of doing their own thing. So I think you've got sort of a scattered... Decepticon force, you know, without a sort of cohesive aim in mind. I think the the DJD, not to undermine them, but they they become irrelevant, obviously, because the war was over. Um, people were still bloody scared of them, um, but it was almost like a type of thing. The DJD, something that happens to other people. Now by that, but you know where we were after you know after chaos, the chaos event, it was sort of they were like the bogeyman, really. You know, you'd think, oh, I'm all right, you know, even though I'm I'm not, you know rebelling against the sort of Autobot regime or, or you know, trying to reignite the war. They're, they're, they're busy elsewhere. So I don't know if... Um, I'm sure everybody will breathe a sigh of relief, you know. Um, I don't know if, if the removal of the DJD will, you know, perversely 
help the Decepticon cause, but you know, it's um, it's it's a future question for the future, really, I suppose, and for John as well and and Megrade. Mm. We've got our one remaining DJV member, Nicole. Yes. Uh, who just takes charge and she does. She flies off into the sky yeah. at the end of uh, Dying of the Light. Yeah. So what can we look forward to? Um, well, she's she's in charge now. You know, she she uh, is is secondary to her. Um, she she had the um, she had the she had the measure of the situation. She was able to realize more with greater clarity than most the point at which Tarn goes too far, goes off the rails. She she's she's first to see how how inadequate this whole situation is. So she takes charge. Um, she is the one that basically says to Death Soros, you know, this is this is a this is a lost cause. We 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 cut and run and we we re, we plan we plan ahead. So where we were before the detour that took the DJD to the other Nicobot world, Nicobot, we, we we'd had um, uh, basically a declaration of war against against the Galactic Council and again you know or a war against organics anyway. So um, when we you know if and when we rejoin uh, or we catch up with Nickel and Death Saurus and, and the War World. Uh, in season three, it'll be in that context. It's you know, they don't care about Megatron. They don't care about uh, the Autobots necessarily. There's um, there's there's a perceived threat elsewhere that they're going to be um, yeah, busy with. So I, I just uh, go from big themes to yep. something more cheerful and fluffy. Good, because uh, you mentioned uh, <laughs> you mentioned earlier about uh, getting more acceptability for Transformers comics. Yep. And you are, as far as I'm aware, the first person to have written an award-winning <laughs> Transformers comic. Do that feel I think good? So. Yeah, it's um, I, I'm always I'm always trying to be careful because I don't want to. Ironically, I don't, I don't want to sort of um, delegitimize um, Transformers comics by sort of you know giving the impression that they are sort of you know you know reputationally sort of you know looked down upon. My my issue really is not my issue is that I believe there's a lot of people, a lot of comics readers out there. That won't even give Transformers comics a try because there's 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 this baggage, there's just this perception that they are, I don't know, somehow they um, how how to put it really? Well, it's this the old thing about how you know they have their origins in a toy range and uh, therefore uh, the stories are going to be shallow, they're going to be you know sort of cynical, um, or even on you know even forget that the stories are going to be you know you're going to be trapped in that in that sort of um, limbo of you know of resetting you know and, and re- reverting to the status quo all the time so that's where my so my what I want to see is is um is more people prepared to, to have a punt on on the IDW stuff because I think it's really it's really good and um, you know I'm talking about robots in disguise talking about all the one there's a lot of stuff to discover and um and an award does you know <laughs> it just it just says you know, there's something in this. Maybe you get an actual award for that. Have you had I have. I have never. Yet? I've never got an actual physical um, award for for Transformers. Yeah, if you're listening, it was Comics Alliance, wasn't it? Yes. If you're listening, yeah. send me yes. award. Yes. <laughs> we got the toaster. Yeah. Um, but it does. But it does. It does help raise awareness and um, you know get the uh, get the name out there. Um, you know, and the Eagle Award. I mean, we were shortlisted for some Eagle Awards um, the year oh, before. Right, so over the year before yeah in 2014 yeah that's right yeah Mm. for both single issues yeah so 
because I don't think the, uh, the UK comic ever even got a nomination, did it? Even it's uh, no. Uh, I'm not thinking the Eagle Awards or British Awards. Yes, that's right. Um, yes, yeah. Mm. Uh, but I don't think it ever even got a nomination for one of those. Even at the peak. No, so that was uh, that was pomp. it's good. Um, so yeah, I uh, you know anything which um, promotes the title raises awareness, and and I think and more than CI, I think has has. It's it's a word. It's been a word of mouth thing as well. I mean, um, um, you still get, and that's why, if I'm if I'm honest with you, you know that there's always a risk. Uh, well, there there is a risk in in relaunching it under a different title. Um, the gamble is that those people who have heard about more than meets the eye, but but are, but are put off by the fact there's fifty plus issues to wade through, will feel sort of emboldened and, and they can jump on with issue one of last night, provided they they recognise that it's the same. You know, creative team, and it's the it's the same story. Um, so before we move on to mm, the future, mm. I'm going to wrap up the uh, season two questions. Okay. I want you to give me three words to describe the personality of these characters. <laughs> okay. Thunder clash. Um, pure. Um, self-effacing. Um, oblivious. Right. Nickel. Pragmatic. Um, diminutive um, no nonsense <laughs> get away <laughs> okay uh, this is this is a testing question okay get away um, convinced um, slippery um and cold. Thesaurus. Um, conflicted. Um, idealistic. Dragon. <laughs> <laughs> some part of the <laughs> Yeah, 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 yeah. Dragon. Fiery. Yeah, fiery. Yeah. Um, <laughs> he likes yeah. people to give him his um, invention ideas. Um, yeah. Um, uh, well, uh, yeah. Um, and um, um, paternalistic. And atomizer. Um, Okay, that's a good one, actually. Okay, atomizer, I would say, is um, dangerous, um, out of his depth, um, and aesthetically aware, because he you know, used to be an interior designer, so uh, <laughs> yeah. a much overlooked aspect of uh, atomizer's personality. The lost logs is going to look really yeah. good. Right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> What have we achieved? Well, we've we've got some curtains up everywhere. Pastels. Yeah. Uh, I have one last season two question. It's only a one word answer, really. Uh, who was Kaon? Because I, I think you mentioned on Twitter you did. Oh, god, the, the name of Kaon. Yeah. You can make something up. No one could. Well, so many people it. have asked me that question. I feel I need to give it. Um, not no no disrespect to your podcast, but I feel it needs to be. I really need to big it up and make it some sort of you know <laughs> some sort of announcement that we um ideally that we do in 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 the comic itself. But um, but oh, well, I suppose then um, mm. another question is uh, there have been lots of people asking about glitch. Yeah. And uh, yes, about. Uh, his past and things mm. connected to that. Uh, I know you said before you consider Chaos Theory a trilogy. Do, mm. Could you imagine a 
the Douglas Adams style path forward that trilogy revisiting uh, Orion Pax as a super cop or yeah I, I I'm tempted I'm tempted there's um there was a lot that I couldn't get to in the in the last you know ostensibly the last part of that trilogy we, we didn't have time to um see Senator Shockwave again um we didn't have uh time to look well actually I mean I was going to say Sentinel but that's sort of been overtaken by um things um by Titan, Titan Return Titan's Return I think I think there's a it's fertile ground. I think that that pre-war era, um, and even that, even you know I I could write a miniseries um, about you know Pax and his outlaws. Really, I think I think there's there's good springboards for other stories in there. So I might um, I might do a Douglas Adams as you're saying. It becomes four or five stories, but but at the same time, there's got to be some link to. I think there's got unless unless you're unless you're talking about a series that exists outside of more than meets the eye, has to be some connection to. Um, the quest or the characters or something which informs your understanding of where where we are today. Uh, I suppose that mention of Settle Pride brings us to the present. Uh, a neat segue. Uh, that's free very of charge. Good. Yeah. You should be a writer. You could... <laughs> and I have a very important question about the current two-parter. Yes. The Titans Returns tie-in, which is, can you please tell me why on earth has Prowl still not fixed his eye? Yeah, I know. Well... That I'm sure there's much debate around the about around Prowl's personal timeline and, and how much time has elapsed between. But I'll tell you the truth, it's the same reason Nautica had her face wound for hours and hours because these things carry different significance to if you're a transformer, really. You know, um, imagine if you could. Imagine if you could um, heal yourself you know, much if you, if your skin could heal much more quickly, and you sustained a scratch, um, and there's other things going on. Would you would you attend to that strike? Well, okay, maybe you could say with an eye, perhaps, you know that that that's that's has has a use and a function. But if you could make do with one eye, it's not going to be top of your list, is it really? And they don't care about aesthetically how they look. So, I may have answered that question more seriously than it was. There isn't. <laughs> well, if I had asked it, uh, Barry had looked at you guys first. I would be thumped with the table. I think, <laughs> word, because that does bug me the eye. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If I could change anything. Yeah. <laughs> I, well, the alternative explanation is that in three years' time, you'll see the real payoff. You'll see the uh, the real explanation <laughs> oh. for that. Yeah. Uh, and but... I don't know why. I'm sure that you're not joking. Must <laughs> <laughs> uh, what you mentioned earlier was a more has become very much its own sort of weird, eccentric little thing. Yeah. Does that make it hard to bring it back in? To the crossover thing. Because uh, obviously our, our idea is because it's very much his own thing as well. Yeah. So um, make it hard to meet up with a bit more. I think in a way, actually, the the peculiar, in both senses of the word, the peculiar sensibility which sort of attends to more than meets the eye stories, it's quite fun actually to bring that into, you know, a, a, like, like a, how can I put it, you know, uh, I was going to say a mixed story. So where you've got like, you know, pro- proper old school crossover different groups of characters coming together I, I've always like same with Dark Cybertron I like I mean Dark Cybertron when we when Pax you know and others and others arrive on the Lost Light and it's just I really try to make that scene ex- almost exaggerate the, the the oddity of the of the Lost Light situation as if they've been sort of left alone to their own devices for so long and they've got all these really weird quirks and things which to anyone else would just seem really really weird um, and so in Titans Return um you know, we had that we had them. You know, going basically going to the cinema, and because uh, it seems it just seems like a very more than meets the eye thing to do, but in a way which doesn't you know undercut the the sort of main story itself, but it just sort of brings brings the more than meets the eye style to the to the party. 
Yeah, I hope I've remembered correctly, but I think in Dark Cybertron, you and John changed how you wrote together as you went along. You started off doing your own right. bits separately, yeah. and then you worked you worked each other's bits as you went along. So, what sort of approach? Um, well, with Dark Cybertron, we, the, the the change of approach in there was was the we we did it Marvel style and not full script, um, but we still we did we we did Marvel style for our individual um, casts until the last sort of third of the or quarter of the story when it really was all mashed up. Um, Titans Return actually, we've I mean, Combiner Wars didn't affect me directly apart from Ratchet and First Aid having to leave or First Aid having to leave and Mirage. But Combiner Wars was 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 useful because you know we we deliberately said okay well let's let's divide it up and 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 how it, we can Sentinel can be the one doing the traveling we don't have to bring everyone together so you know we um, more than meets the eye the last two issues yes it is part of that five part storyline but they can be read as a they as a sort of standalone I've tried to and it's no disrespect to the overarching storyline in Titans Return but I wanted to make it as much about more than meets the eye characters. Um, as anything else, you know, so it's about Red Alert. It's about it's about where we are with Fort Max and things like that. It's grounded in more than meets the eye continuity, if you know what I mean. Mm. I had a question there. It's just popped out of my head. Uh, do, do you feel the pressure to make the next issue feel like a last issue, mm. or are you mentally twenty fifty five as the last one because that'll be the last <coughs> one of the trades, and these two are like a bonus? Um, I've, I've done both really. I mean, more fifty five would be the ideal. You know, last issue in, in that it yeah brings season two to a conclusion, but I, I've always been, um, you know, a, a, a monthly issue guy as opposed to a trades guy, and so I wanted fifty seven, as far as was possible, to be you know to to have that um, you know the feeling that, that that we were at the end of something and and to sort of celebrate or recognise um, more than meets the eye rather than Titans Return. Uh, I think I found a way to do it, and you know, you'll see when. Um, I mean, I'll tell you then. I'll, I'll tell you a little bit. But the first scene in issue fifty-seven is is from issue one of One Minute CI. So it's you know, it's it 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 looks back over the last fifty-seven issues, and the last scene, the epilogue, if you like, is in a way which I'm sure will infuriate some people. It's it's probably the most More Than Meets the Eye style scene. That you could ever have, really. So it sort of feels, whether you say it's thematically or conceptually, it's just a very, it's a very more than meets the eye sort of way of wrapping it up. Really. In fact, you know how you're an X Files fan as well, but you know, season seven of X Files, it was the last one where you know Mulder and Scully, Duchovny and Anderson were, were in it together, sort of as, as regulars. Uh, and it could have been, it was written it was they, they made this as the last yeah episode. exactly it was like one line of dialogue yeah difference. So, so it could have been the last one, you know, and. Um, what was my point? Um, yeah, is that is that the, the um, no no? It's just um, if 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 Lost Light wasn't going to happen, um, then the sort of where where we imagine a sort of imagine that again as I often do is it's sort of a, 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 a televisual. Um, so the last scene in issue fifty seven, you can imagine it happening and sort of and, and the camera sort of pulling out and that's that's where we leave them. Not every thread's been wrapped up. Not there's not complete closure, but. There, there's a state. Of, it sounds very pretentious. There's a sort of a state of play, a state of being, which you can you can say, okay, I can leave them there. You know, was so, that every subsequent X Files season ender is exactly the same? Yeah, I, I know. I, I, I mean, know. don't know if it's ended or not, but season season seven's quite good. So I, I would I'll have happily ended this. ended it there, actually. You know, for for those X Files fans that tuned in, <laughs> well, um, I've got a whole host of X Files fans <laughs> here actually. Exactly, middle of season six of my rewatch. <laughs> 
So after uh, season fifty-seven, we also have the revolution starting, don't we? Yeah. So that's the issue that you're writing with Nick Roach. Yes. And that's... Alex Milne is drawing. Yes, the first time right? the three of us have been together on, on this. What was it like working with Nick? Yeah, that's like Leonard and McCartney getting back together, or Rob yeah, Brandt or and Dan exactly, or you know Bernard Butler and Brett Anderson. Um, Little or large. It's... Yeah. <laughs> um. It was great. It was good fun, actually. And, and it, but it was you know, five and a half years had passed. Well, six years had passed, really, since since we were together on records. So, and we've both done different things since then. But we sort of fell into the rhythm of it pretty quickly. It's a very different story tonally to records. Um, it is. It's it's just silly. It's a silly story. Um, and it's. I mean, it's. I think what what's already known is that it's a, it's a one off issue, self contained. It's uh, the scavengers on Earth. Um, and inevitably, it involves Mask and and uh, and Rom and um, GI Joe, um, and the the editorial mandate was, you know, have fun with it. Just you know, take the mic. So you're thinking, well, don't need to tell me twice or Nick twice. We will we will run with that. So uh, it's just the Scavengers are the perfect group of people to uh, to to have an Earth based multi multi franchise crossover story because. You know, it it isn't it isn't like this, but the alternate way we could have done it would have been exceptionally knowing, and would have would have had them critiquing every aspect of a of a multi a multi franchise crossover. I think it's interesting when you talk about three D movie there, because obviously mm. when Revolution was announced, yeah. I thought, well, that means Megatron will be a Deceptron again in mm. season two because. Mm. For a big crossover like that, they'll yeah. want the iconic heroes and villains yeah. in their traditional places. So we you know. G.I. Joe fans won't be confused. Mm. Yeah. The, the yeah. five ROM fans won't be getting wise from wearing an Orbot badge. Uh, so they just said, do what you like. Well, it, well, yeah, and, and um, I mean, it, we're, we're doing, I mean, we're not, there's the five, there's the five issue main revolution story. And so we are, we are a tie-in, you know, so it's a, um, but I think, you know, everything over the years has suggested that um, there's a really healthy sort of pragmatism to it all there's a there's a respect there's definitely a respect for what's come before and there's no desire certainly on idw's part or hasbro's part to you know to to ruin you know the the the, the many years worth of stories that that's come before um and at the same time yes you know there, there's these sort of prevailing corporate imperatives you've got to got to sort of tend to them as well so you know um what nick and i have tried to do is you know we've 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 highlighted some of the absurdities of the whole thing, and, and but it's very affectionate, and it doesn't, you know, it's 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 not it's not a sort of it's not a nasty attack on this stuff, you know. It sort of celebrates the whole, you know, that weird giddy childhood thrill of like, you know, these people meet these people and stuff. Um, it's just through the prism of a group of Decepticons that really don't know what on earth is happening, you know. They uh, they've come to Earth for an entirely different reason. Well, that's all I'll say, you know. But um, yeah. And, uh, you, but speaking of Nick, uh, obviously Sins of Wreckers. Mm. That's a sequel to your first credited writing gig professionally. Yeah. Uh, did you feel envy pangs for not being involved? Were you fed up saying, Are you sure you're coping? <laughs> <laughs> well, obviously, I wanted him to fail utterly, you know. And uh, no, um, we at one point we were going to do it together. I mean, there wasn't sins at that point, but the, the, a, a sequel to records was something we'd um, he and I had had conversations about. Probably, I think it was a convention, it may even have been here a few years ago. We were sort of talking about, you know working together again um but when you know um john said to nick um you know sort of directly you know we're interested in a sequel um and nick had an idea um that he wanted to pursue and i and it was it was a good one and you know 
I've got more than meets the eye, um, and Nick's fantastic, and he could, he can run with that idea, and he and he and he made it brilliant. Um, so yeah, and I was, and I'm, you know, selfishly, it's great for me to, to to read Sins of the Records as well. You know, to to be to be a reader with um, you know, at, at arm's length from what was happening. So uh, yeah, it's uh, you know, I didn't I, I didn't feel. I mean, I I've held off using. Impactor or, or Guzzle. Yeah, yeah, all yeah. season two, I was expecting Impactor to show yeah, up. Yeah, no, it was it was like a gentleman's agreement. You know, we 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 refer to it as like a holding pattern. Springer, Impactor, Guzzle. You know, they're sort of you know they're off limits because there's there's plans for them. So um, now, yeah. <laughs> who well, knows? Are, are you disappointed you didn't write the single most gross robust scene of last year when he just trumped you there? He did, didn't he? Yeah, he. Um, it's it's. It's hard to outgross a scene involving a rapidly expanding mechanical spider inside someone's head, you know. But um, but it's 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 a benchmark to try and exceed. Hard to outgross ripping out somebody's spine. Yeah, I thought I thought you know there we go there we go there's the you know top that and then he did. Um, it's just it's a it's a horrible horrific race to the bottom really. So you know we'll have to see what we manage in season it's, three. Well, yours was a flashback race. Are you, are you going to try again? Yeah, exactly, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, if only we could establish the concept of child transformers, you know, that would <laughs> open up a whole new avenue of horrific, horrific well, you've got body horror. Characters. They oh, will have oh, don't, don't. I'm going to shut down an avenue that I myself created there. But, uh, yeah, let's blame Nick. Well, speaking of new avenues, yes. that's another. That's very, he's very he, slick, isn't he? You said season three, so yes. we've I, been talking about more than we say ending. It's mm. not actually ending, is it, James? It's not ending, no, and I must emphasise this. And um, and a frightening number of people have said to me, oh, so that's it then, and, and emphatically, no. Um, and I will continue to refer to the first mega arc of Lost Light as season three. Um, I have had to change my plans very, very little um, in terms of what was going to happen from issue 58 onwards versus Lost Light issue 1 onwards. Very little change. Some change, admittedly, because, you know, we do want um, new people to pick up Lost Light and not feel completely alienated. So there needs to be some concessions to that, but not in a way which derails the story. Um, you know, I'm, I'm far too invested in this multi-year, more than meets the eye, myth arc to, um, to, to start something entirely new. So... Um, uh, and IDW were always very good in saying, "Look, it's you know, you 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 plow ahead and tell the tell the story, but it's just different title, different numbering." So uh, was the title easy to come up with, or did you do you have focus groups? Um, it was it was it was quite difficult actually, um, and it wasn't me it wasn't me that that, that 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 decided on it in the end. Although I am very happy with it, to be honest. Um, it's it's the first ever. Um, Transformers title certainly for an ongoing series that isn't either Transformers or sort of you know the a generic you know um, slogan connected with the, with the with the brand so I'm I'm pleased about that I prefer Lost Light as a title to more than Mitzi Eye but I you know I, I I have the anxiety around people not connecting the two so people that may have heard good things about more than Mitzi Eye won't necessarily think oh but that's now you know if I want some of that I've got to go to the Lost Light so I need to promote that a bit more really but um it's the same story under different covers. So what can you tell us? About season three. Um, I can tell you that the 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 rhythm of the stories are gonna, is going to be a little different. Uh, we're generally going to have more multi-parters. Um, um, and they are going to, in a way which is more evident, perhaps, than in the past, 
um, contribute to the continuation of the quest. So we are we are nearing the end of that story of the quest itself. Um, and so you know you're going to see various disparate elements of the myth arc start to come into focus. Um, I am being quite vague because you know technically at the end of Dying of the Light the planet's blown up so you know we've killed off everybody and it's, it's all to be about Captain Getaway isn't it? Lost well, yeah um, and there is a cover to um, there's an, a cover to Lost Light issue one which is you know the mutineers it's the new crew it's Getaway and Atomizer and the rest so the Lost Light itself is going to be in issue one then um, I'm saying nothing I'm <laughs> saying nothing um but I've seen I've seen all three. So Nick's done a cover to issue one. Uh, Jack Lawrence is on, you've seen Jack Lawrence's cover. That's right. Yeah. Um, Purple Rodimus. Purple Rodimus. The Optimus Prime. You've got him in it before the film comes yeah, out as well. Exactly. Um, and um, and Alex, um, sorry, Andrew Griffith is done, done another cover, which is great. Um, so yeah, so it's going you're going to have uh, more multi-part stories um, with with a greater connection to the sort of the end point. Um, I'm writing the. In, in my head, it's season three. It could could be seasons three and four, but the point is that there is we are now we are now taking deliberate steps towards the grand finale. Um, there's going to be ooh, what can I tell you actually? Um, there will definitely be a focus um, or a um, you know we we will find out what Getaway and the others have been up to since their um, betrayal. Um, you're probably going to see. Not so much, you know, the introduction of new, of brand new people, because the the more the mid universe, as we've sort of coined it, um, has got quite a lot of people in there that, you know, I want to catch up on. It's got a cast of characters, and they're not all together. Um, so we're going to sort of, we're going to p- pursue some different avenues, really, and um, and catch up with with old friends and enemies. Mm. Um, yeah, yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be big. Um, it's going to be... Um, yeah, you, a lot of uh, well, certain certain characters have have you know clearly defined arcs, um, and we're we're positioning a lot of a lot of people into this is very vague into the into the positions they need to occupy if it's all going to end in a certain way. Put it that way. You're doing that thing where you know the, 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 for, for, <laughs> I want to say yeah, the, 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 for listeners at home. Okay, this this interviewer's technique of like not saying anything because I think if we don't say anything, they'll just the interviewee will just say more I, stuff. Yeah, I, I studied that that <laughs> Toby Blair with yeah, Steve Skeletor, yeah, yeah. and I've got. <laughs> uh, yeah. If there's a new artist to issue on, uh, yes. from your TMUK yeah. past. So was that down to you? Or was that a coincidence? Um, so Jack Lawrence is a is a terrifyingly talented um, professional. Um, you know, he he um, is responsible for a number of, of comics, um, Arkham Vale and others um, that have been around for, you know, for years. He's been a pro for many many years. Um, before he became a pro, he was like me, a Transformers fan. We worked together, as it happens, on some on some um, on some comics in the nineties. Um, and he is he's just exceptionally good. He's just born to draw Transformers. Um, um, but he did other things, and there's been times over the years when I've said to him, "Look, you know, come on, do a cover, do a cover." And he'd be, "Yeah, no, I'm busy, and I've got other things on." Um, and um, and in the end, it was you know he, he there was a gap in his schedule, and he did a cover for Wreckers. Um, and John Barber saw the other stuff he'd done, um, you know, non-transformer stuff, 
I think he did some turtles things as well, and uh, and tapped him up for um, for this new gig. Um, so he'll be doing uh, the first five issues and then di- different arcs after that. And um, you know, if you've seen his stuff, you'll know that I'm speaking the truth when I say that he's just got a really he's got a style which is absolutely suited to more than meets the eyes. It's, it's very very emotive. Uh, it's, it's it pops. It's really fun. Um, it's very it's just full of expression. Um, yeah, it's like um, it's not cartoony, but it's it's got that sort of that dynamism of like an animated show to it. It's really uh, it's I'm really really excited about you know you the rest of, you know about people seeing what he what he can do. And I suppose that leads to a, the next obvious question because I know there was yeah. some confusion about this when yeah. it was announced. Yeah. Uh, will Alex Mill be involved further down the line or? Well, yeah, the the, the, the the plan has always been that Alex will that yeah, Alex and Jack will alternate. So um, after Jack's um, first five issues, then Alex will do um, the next five or the next six. And uh, you know, we'll um, we, we've always broken up the stories to 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 fit into the trade. You know, so there's always been break points after every fifth or sixth issue, um, and and um, I envisage that that's how the art duties are going to be sort of um, parceled out uh, Alex is is so important to the success of More Than Meets the Eye and to the success of, of Lost Light and it would be an absolute tragedy um, if, if he wasn't connected to you know the ongoing adventures of the crew you know so he is he's just um, fundamental to the DNA of the stories um, as well as being you know a, uh, a dauntingly talented individual um, his his sensibility just it makes the more than meets the eye experience, and so it would be criminal if he wasn't um, you know in the mix in, in, in for the last lights. I think we're all looking forward to having Alex back. As well. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. He's um, you know the, the the life and the energy that he brings to the series, and the multiple additional dimensions that he brings to it. Just you know, we, it, it would be so different without him. Right, James, mm. is there something that we have completely failed to ask you tonight that you'd like to tell us about? Okay, oh my god, it's like a job interview, isn't it? What, what, what do you want to ask us? Well, I would like to ask about how many days leave I get. Um, um, <laughs> no, no, I don't think... Yeah. <laughs> to leave on a holiday resort? Yeah. Why this? Uh, well, uh, I think your no, you know your questions have been pretty searching actually. No, I haven't. I I feel I feel thoroughly interrogated. I'm good. Thank you. What Stuart, Stuart got well, obviously. My question is entirely to my own benefit because there's one thing that everybody asks me about James Roberts, and that's one thing only. Oh, I uh, know what this is. On the website, on Twitter, yeah, in the toilets, yeah, Classics UK, yeah. Volume Six, yeah, and to the future. Okay, so there's been a huge gap between volumes five and six, um, partly partly down to me, uh, but there is a volume six. It's it's going to be solicited for January 2017. Um, Andy Wildman's done a fantastic cover. Uh, it covers issues 180 to 214. So you've got Space Pirates through to the Rise and Fall, uh, Fall and Rise of the Decepticon Empire. Um, and the plan, but, and, and the, the, it's not a hand to mouth thing, but, but you know, you can never guarantee the next volume. But at, at every, the, the plan has always been eight volumes and they do well enough to, you know, to keep going so um, I've every, every expectation that there'll be volume 7 and 8 to wrap up the whole shebang so yeah yeah so oh and how do you pronounce the acronym for more than BTI 
I, I never ever do. I never even think about it. But and one person today said um eh or something like that, which took me a second to realise what they were talking about. But um yeah, <laughs> it's um mtmte takes as long to say as as the phonetic pronunciation. So it's mtmte if at all. I never m- 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 myself. <laughs> m- 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 <laughs> it never even occurred to me that people might no, not be pronouncing the whole thing. Yeah, yeah. I mean. How pushed you, for time you are need you? You to have live conversations on Twitter, people. It's a massive source of debate. Well, yes. uh, would you like to share your Twitter handle with people? Yes, I would actually. There's a bunk you doesn't know. <laughs> yeah, um, so it's, it's at jroberts332. Um, it's my preferred platform for sort of, you know, teasing future issues and sort of little, you know, insights into what's around the corner. So please, you know, jump on board. Excellent. I think we're about wrapped it up yet. Right, James. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Uh, I hope you have a lovely rest of TF Nation. I will. I will. And uh, we're looking forward to Lost Light. Yes, beyond. out in December. Lost Light issue one, um, and uh, many issues after that. If you want to see how the More Than Meets the Eye saga wraps up, then you need to get on board with Lost Light. Excellent. That's what we've got to do, people. <laughs> Good night. Bye-bye, everybody. Yeah.